Hello, and welcome to the Career Builders Podcast. I'm Mike Bird. And I'm Stacey Pollack. And today we are talking about breaking into the world of tech when you don't have a tech background with our special guest, Kyle Elliott. Kyle is the founder and career coach behind caffeinatedkyle.com, one of the coolest names in the coaching space. His goal is simple, to help people find jobs they love or at the very least tolerate. Kyle is known throughout the industry for helping Silicon Valley's top talent get unstuck, own their fabulousness, and achieve what they never imagined was possible. As a result of working with Kyle, senior managers and executives have landed jobs at Facebook, LinkedIn, Amazon, Google, Microsoft, and nearly every other Fortune 100 or Fortune 500 company that you can think of. They have also found happiness. I think that's amazing. Kyle is joining us from Santa Barbara, California. Kyle, welcome to the Career Builders Podcast. Good afternoon. Thank you so much for having me. I'm excited to be here. This will be a fun conversation. So many people, especially right now during the pandemic, are trying to break into tech. Totally. Makes sense. It's an industry that's done really well relative to a lot of other fields. I actually just broke into tech myself last week. So I'm very pumped for this conversation. Stacy's also in the tech space. Could also, you call without a technical background? So, Oh, that's right. Snap. Oh my goodness. This is amazing. Can you Kyle tell us a little bit more about your own career backstory and how you've arrived at this point? Yes. Yeah, so I work in career coaching and I broke into career coaching without a career coaching background. I started on Fiverr. I literally charged $5 to review resumes, to write LinkedIn profile summaries. And I was really to support my coffee addiction. My website's caffeinatedkyle.com. So if you couldn't tell, I love coffee, Starbucks in particular. And the side hustle kept growing and growing from five hours a week to 10 to 20 to 30 in my fourth year of it being a side hustle. And at that point, I decided to leave my full-time job to dedicate 100% of my time to caffeinatedkyle.com. And while I was growing that side hustle, I was always working in people-focused roles in fundraising and higher education. And I just loved helping people and using my skills to make a positive difference in the world. And I was also really good at finding my own jobs. So people are like, hey, Kyle, can you help me find a job? So I turned it into the side hustle. And now eight years since it was that side hustle as of July, it's now been a full-time business. And I absolutely love it. That is so cool. And so many amazing little nuggets right in there that you've just shared, like how it's not all made in one overnight push to change your career into something that is an ideal fit. I mean, I could go on a big tangent there, but that's really inspiring. What has drawn you to helping folks in tech in particular? Yeah. So a lot of people ask this and assume like I went after tech in particular because it's blown up and it couldn't be further from the truth. It was a hundred percent by accident. A lot of my clients come from word of mouth. Over two thirds of my clients are word of mouth or referral. And I went to undergraduate at San Francisco State University in the Bay Area. So a lot of my classmates, a lot of friends, I found a lot of my clients through Craigslist of all places. So a lot of people were trying to target Facebook or Google or these other big Silicon Valley companies. So I ended up just getting a bunch of clients in tech and then they kept referring each other to me. So I ended up just getting this niche by accident in Silicon Valley and tech. And then it kept growing and being exponential. So I would get a client at Facebook and then they would tell their friends, Kyle, help me get a job at Facebook and would refer more and more people. 
but I've come to fall in love with tech because it has this ripple effect. I can help one person who has a job at Facebook and then their work is impacting 2 billion plus end users. Recently, for example, one of my clients was working on a diversity initiative that literally impacted over 2 billion social media users. So every single person that uses this specific platform was touched by my client's project. And I can't think of another career where I could go make that impact because I'm horrible with technology. It was a few months ago, clients like, Kyle, why are you sending me a separate email for the Zoom invite? Why isn't it integrated in Google? And I didn't even know you could do that. They taught me that. So I'm horrible at tech. So I can't think of another career besides career coaching where I could be <laughs> making this impact to literally billions of humans across the world. So even though it's an accident that I broke into tech, I love it. Can I ask you a question about the, the journey that you had on that? At what point did you realize that this was something that was going to be a side hustle and more of a full-time career for you? I did not realize it until weeks or maybe a month <laughs> before I made the leap from it being a side hustle to my full-time job. So I worked at a university before doing my side hustle and it was an annual contract and they said, hey, do you want to renew your contract? They offered it to me. And I said, sure, I'm going to renew it. And then I had to go back to my boss and unrenew it and say, actually, I'm not going to renew my contract. And my staff, I had a team of 23, they kept asking me, Kyle, when are you going to leave us to go run your side hustle full time? And I said, what do you mean? This is a side hustle. People don't do this full time. I didn't know there was private career coaches that did this full time. I only knew of my university career counselor. I didn't know people ran businesses. So I really never planned to do this until my staff kept asking me, and they put this nugget in my mind. Oh, wait, maybe I can run this full time. That's amazing, right? Like uh, the inspiration can come from anywhere. And yeah. I just want to ask one last little question to piggyback on that. Like what was the, the little thing in the air that told you this is it? This is the time. This is what I got to do. So I always tell my clients to take a risks. That's something that comes up a lot, whether it's breaking the tech, it's asking for a promotion or a raise, it's starting their business. And when I go through my life and look at all the best moments, whether it was running my business full time, whether it was proposing to my partner, whether it was moving to Santa Barbara or moving to Seattle or moving to New York, all of these best moments were associated with huge amounts of risk. So if I want more best moments, I have to take more risks. And I think that's what I realized. If I want all these great things, I just have to take more risks. And I think that helped a lot is just looking at great moments are associated with great risk. And that's just something I need to do. As someone who's very risk averse, that makes me both very inspired and very anxious all at once. <laughs> yeah, and I think as you mentioned, I mean, I was slow and steady. I don't believe you have to give it 100% your business. My business over the course of four years before I did it full time, it was five hours a week, then 10 hours a week, then 20 hours a week, then 30. And same with my prices. People look and say, oh my gosh, I could never charge that. But I started at $5 and then based on my dad's advice every time, at a wait list of more than a few weeks, I doubled my prices. So I just slowly mm. crept it up. So I'm really a big proponent of slow and steady. And the same goes to breaking into tech. You don't have to just go for Amazon, but maybe you go for a little startup or um, a SMB, but instead of going all or nothing. That's great advice. I think people often think about the end, the end result and get really sort of like 
you know, out of place because they can't, they're at A and they just want to jump all the way to Z and they forget that you have to kind of go through the whole alphabet to get there. Yeah, I live in Santa Barbara and I compare it to kind of driving to Disney World in Florida. Like you're not just going to drive to Disney World overnight. It's not possible. But I say, okay, what can we do in the next few hours, six hours, eight hours? We can drive to Vegas, okay? And then we'll drive the next up to Texas and we'll drive to New Orleans. Like, let's break it down and say what those chunks are and what can you achieve over the next year or two and then the next few years and then maybe make Amazon or Google a five or 10 year goal, or even ask yourself for those goals you wanna go after at all. When you look at those cultures and those workplaces, that is, is that even what you're striving for? Or are you just going after those big names? Cause those are the big names. Wow, yes, right. And again, it could go into some big tangents off of that, but that is such amazing perspective that you add to clients. As we get into sort of focusing more on the tech side of this conversation, why do you think the idea of breaking into tech, aside from the pandemic, is such a hot issue? Tech is resilient. As we navigate the uncertainty of not only the pandemic, but as our world is just constantly changing, we're seeing that tech is able to survive and then not only survive, but thrive. And these big tech companies are adaptable and they're really working to cater to their needs of their employees. So my clients who work at universities, for example, or nonprofits, they're like, oh my gosh, Kyle, it took weeks or months for my company to even get me a laptop. And then other clients who are at organizations, they're like, within two days, I had $1,500 to buy a laptop if they were at a tech company. They're like, I had $1,500 in two days to buy a laptop, buy a desk, buy a chair, all of that for my home office in the pandemic. And that's just one example of these organizations really being able to pivot <clears throat> during the pandemic and in general. And mm -hmm. these tech companies just have the resources and the cultural mindset to pivot. And I think that's why so many people wanna move into tech and why tech is able to thrive while other organizations are lagging behind during these huge moments in our society. Yeah, I mean, I can yeah. I can attest to that having just started at a tech company. I've been texting my friends all week being like, oh my God, I can't believe what they're letting me expense on my desk and my chair and my this and my that. And it's like nothing I've ever experienced before at a company. Yeah, it's just so powerful. And employees are recognizing that they have a lot of voice and they don't have to be at a company where they're forced to work in the office if their role isn't client facing. I mean, if you work at a hospital, for example, that's one thing, but for a lot of these roles, you don't have to be in the office and you don't have to be working just nine to five, clock in, clock out at exact times. And employees are realizing they have a lot of voice. And if their company's not gonna allow them that freedom and autonomy, they're gonna go somewhere else where they can get it. And oftentimes they can get it at these tech companies. Yeah. And we'll see if the rest of the world and the other industries that we are omitting from this conversation, take note and do something because yeah, there's a lot of great people going into this space right now, uh, leaving other industries behind. Mm -hmm. Can you talk a little bit about some of the challenges that people face as they're trying to make this jump into tech? Yes. So almost everyone who reaches out to me is trying to break into tech or they're in tech and they're trying to break into a role that doesn't exactly align with their experience and their work history. And the biggest hurdle I see besides confidence, because almost everyone deals with confidence issues, is being able to translate experience. People say, Kyle, I look at the job posting and bullet point after bullet point, I can do it. 
but people struggle to translate their experience. And for example, this past month, I worked with three people from higher education and they were trying to break into tech companies, but they used the language of higher education. They said, I work with students, I work with students, I work with students, instead of saying I work with clients or end users. And those little subtle changes can make a huge difference, speaking the language of tech so that recruiters and hiring managers can envision you working in their company. So I think what's really key for people to do, but a lot of job seekers fail to do, is speak the language of these organizations. So oftentimes when you're targeting a role, what I suggest doing is going through and using that job posting as a recipe card and literally highlighting or crossing off items as you add it to your resume and your LinkedIn. And then if you're switching from an organization where the language is a little bit different, practicing using their language. So my higher education clients, I say, you're not allowed to use the word student when you talk to me. Anytime they use it, I say, nope, client or end user. Or they say the word university, nope, it's a business. Because university is a business, so I want you to use that language. And just those little subtle shifts can help you speak the language of your target audience. And then a lot of people struggle to target the right level of position or company. So you might have been a vice president or in the C-suite at your nonprofit or wherever you may be transitioning to. But when you, you go to Amazon or Google or whatever company, you may have to go down a level or two and focus less on that title and focus more on your scope and level of responsibility. And recognize mm -hmm. a lot of these companies, they're not giving out VP level roles right and left. But instead, you could be a director or manager and still have a large level of scope and a higher salary than your previous organization. Great point there for sure, because I think a lot of people can kind of get a little bit too short-sighted with what they see is what's on the job posting and think, oh, this is below me. Um, I, I Something you said there that really resonated because I'm kind of going through, I'm now in the tech space have been for two weeks at the time of recording after having left higher ed. So I'm noticing the fact that as I run through my memory, that there were times in my interview process where I was kind of using a little bit of that old and new language. And what it sounds like Kyle is that there is sort of this reprogramming or a slight change in identity that happens to folks as they're shifting from wherever they are into the tech space. Would you say that's true for what you've seen? Yes, absolutely. Because at the end of the day, 90% of jobs are the same, whether you're doing a program manager job at a nonprofit or a university or at a tech, 90% of the role is the same. You're just serving slightly different audiences and your budgets may come from a slightly different place, but you're doing the same work. But what happens as a recruiter or hiring manager might get a little caught up if you're using different language. So if you can shift the language a teeny bit they can say, oh, I can envision you in this role. So I think what you've said is spot on. Cool. It is fascinating. Aside from what you've mentioned, are there other things that you do to help clients overcome some of the hurdles that you've talked about? Yeah, so, so two things come to mind. Sometimes it's just easier, and clients hate to hear this, but just ditch your whole resume and start from scratch. And I think what's really helpful um, is building off what we said before is printing out that job posting and really using that as a recipe or guide. Because what you can do is say, Kyle, I can do all of this in the job posting. And I say, okay, perfect. It says budget administration. Tell me where on your resume you've managed a budget and set it. And they look, look, look and say, oh yeah, let me find it. And then they realize <laughs> nowhere on their resume does it talk about budgets. 
So sometimes starting from scratch with your resume and your LinkedIn profile with your elevator pitch can be powerful and literally crossing it off to ensure you're not only hitting everything that they're looking for, but using their language. And then second, we already talked about it a bit, but finding some stepping stone roles and companies can be powerful before going for those big names like Microsoft or LinkedIn or Boeing or whatever those companies are that you're targeting. Find some roles that may be a little more feasible for you. I think of it kind of like applying for colleges. You have like your big tier colleges. Okay, I want to apply to Stanford and Yale. And then you have your middle ones that are more realistic. And then you kind of have your safety schools as well. And I can, can encourage my clients to consider a similar approach when they're applying for careers in tech. Okay, you have your really exciting ones, then maybe some ones that are realistic, and then maybe a few safety roles you apply to as well. So then you can at least just practice your interview skills with those companies. I love that. And, you know, oftentimes when you end up in those maybe like safety roles or middle tier roles that you don't think much of, you end up getting so much more out of it than you would ever think. And it just really prepares you for that next step. Yeah, and I've had clients land those kind of safety role interviews and they're like, oh, I just applied to this just to practice interviewing and they end up falling in love with the company and taking yeah. the offer. It's awesome when that happens. Uh, on just one additional note on that kind of experience, I'm thinking about uh, my girlfriend works in tech herself and in her most recent transition ended up interviewing at a number of what I guess we can now call were safety net companies and they just primed her for what she was really doing, plan A, pursuing the, the company that she's at now. Um, but yeah, we sometimes as job seekers can get a little bit too caught up on like, is this, is this good enough? Am, am I, you know, am I settling or, but I love what you say. Like there's a tactical aspect to this when you approach these companies that may not be on the A-list, they still can add a lot of value to a job search. We're about to get into some really awesome questions around the magic word, I feel like, for the Kyle Elliott, the caffeinated Kyle brand, fabulousness, right? I mean, this is sort of something that you've put out there into the world. And can you dive into the word fabulousness, what it means to people and, and why it's such a big part of people finding success as a job seeker? Yes, this is one of my favorite words, obviously. And when I think of fabulousness, I think of finding that set of qualities that you have and no one else in the world possesses. And this is particularly important when it comes to breaking into tech, because when you're targeting tech companies, they have so many more applicants than other roles. And then particularly in the pandemic, you have less roles out there, more people applying. So you have to say, here's what sets me apart from the hundreds or thousands or tens of thousands of people applying for this role. So once you've identified and owned your fabulousness, you are able to say, here's everyone else that's applied and here's me and I'm the only one that has these qualities. And it makes it so much easier for the recruiter or hiring manager to invite you for an interview and to offer you a role. I kind of think of it like bags. My partner, JV, he loves purses. So I think of it like a pyramid. You kind of have like jam sport backpacks at the bottom. There's like tons of them. And then up a level, maybe you have like Michael Kors bags are a little more selective. And then up a level's coach, more selective. Then you have like Gucci and Louis. And then like at the very top, you have like Birkin bags. Like they're one of a kind. Nothing like compares to it. You have that one of a kind Birkin bag that no one can replicate. 
And my goal with clients is to help them figure out how do we make you a Birkin bag where no one can replicate you and you're that one of a kind. So what I do with my clients, I actually had an own your fabulousness session this morning with a client, is I have them do two things. The first before our session is I have them text a few friends asking what makes me fabulous. And I always feel awkward doing this. I'm not used to just getting feedback, but text what makes me fabulous. And then the second thing I do is have them reflect on their childhood and what lit them up. And then I draw a Venn diagram and say, what overlaps here? What stuck with you over the last 10, 20, 30, 40 years? And is at the core of who you are and has stayed true to you over the last several decades. And it's so powerful to see what sticks with people. And they say, oh, I didn't notice all these things people say about me now are the same things that were there as a child when I was younger, before all these masks that society put on me or that I put up to deal with society. And then we dig deeper and say, okay, there's these overlaps. Now, what sets you apart from people who also have those skills? And then clients name a few things. Okay, then what sets you apart from people who also have those? And we dig deep, 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 deep until they give me a list of qualities that not a other, another single human on earth possesses. And it's powerful when people get that list completed. Why do you think it's so hard for people to, I guess, like dig for those and identify them? I think of it kind of like an iceberg. There's this kind of top 10% where people say, okay, here's what's different about me. And then when I ask them, okay, what sets you apart from people who are great team players and dependable? People say, I don't know. And I have one rule when people work with me and it's that I don't know isn't an answer. And I do that because I think the other fabulousness is underneath the surface, like an iceberg. The other 90% is below, I don't know. And I think it's difficult to get there. So we say, I don't know. And then we just move on. And we haven't sat there and thought about it enough. And my coaching philosophy is that every single answer you need is within you. And people just haven't taken the time to go there. Mm -hmm. And my role as a coach is to sit there and help you get to those answers that are inside of you. The inwards work. Yes. Mm-hmm. I love mm-hmm. that. Yeah. Those answers, they're, they're there. And the iceberg reference makes total sense. That is such a challenge for so many people. Are you able to share with us what your fabulousness is? Yes. So I have a unique way of looking at situations. Clients come to me when they're stuck and what they're doing just isn't working. I help them rethink, reimagine, re- recreate their career stories in a way that they just can't find anywhere else. I kind of relate this to the Queen's Gambit. So there's a few scenes where the main character, her name is Beth, is looking up at the ceiling and there's these chess pieces moving in like a hundred different ways. And she's thinking about all the what if scenarios that her, the player across the table could be doing. And that's what I do with my clients. I'm skilled at thinking about all the different options and working through them with clients to present. And and I found when I work with clients, they're like, oh my gosh, I have never thought about it this way. I've never had this insight before. And I'm able to deliver that super quickly and ask, I wouldn't say perfect, but the right question at the right moment for clients and deliver insights they literally can't find anyone or anywhere else because of the way that I work with people in those coaching sessions. That's very special. Yeah. The Beth Harmon of career coaches. I mean, that's an amazing, (laughs) maybe that's like an oversimplification, but that's a great way uh, 
of painting the picture. And if you, dear listener, haven't seen The Queen's Gambit, excellent, worth checking out. And I think it would do this conversation even more justice if you did. That's cool. Stacey, take it away with more fabulousness. Sure, yeah. And I just wanted to add to that. I think that sometimes it takes being in like different scenarios for you to be able to see what your own fabulousness is too. Um, You know, even for myself, because I'm not a very technical person working in organizations with people who are highly technical, um, doing that for a few years has shown me that I like my fabulous, my fabulousness is being able to translate the soft skills to the very technical folks, but I would have never had that insights if I had not put myself in a situation where I was kind of stretching outside my comfort zone. So we're currently constantly learning too about our fabulousness and about ourselves too, and getting deeper and deeper under that iceberg and figuring out what's there as we sit with ourselves and then other people also help us learn about ourselves as well. And I have my own coaches and therapists and I think that's so important for people to continually do that work too and not just say, this is my fabulousness. Oh yeah. So what are some, I guess, mental hurdles that get in the way of some of most of your clients being able to actually identify that fabulousness? Like what are the, the most, the things you hear most often besides, I don't know. Yeah, I don't know. Um, <laughs> it's something that comes up a lot. So that's why that's my one rule. And I always say it at the beginning of my work together with people. And then when it comes to owning their fabulousness, a lot of people struggle with confidence. I mostly work with senior managers and executives in Silicon Valley and high tech. These are people doing amazing work who work at great companies, yet despite all this fabulousness, they struggle with confidence. And I think it's amazing to know that and important for listeners to know that even though these people have successful careers, they still struggle with confidence. And one of the things I like doing is having them text their friends and say, hey, what makes me fabulous? Because sometimes we forget that. And a lot of my clients are overachievers and they keep going and going and going and they don't slow down to reflect on all the amazing Mm -hmm. stuff Mm -hmm. they've done. Yeah. Beyond that, I love having them look at like letters of recommendations or performance reviews and just see what trends come up and really take time to reflect on all the great things they've done. And a lot of my clients get emotional. They'll cry and Mm. say, oh my gosh, I've done all these great things, yet I'm hard on myself and don't take time to sit and reflect and be with all of these things I've done. Yeah, I think that's so true. And it's it's not really until you kind of take stock of everything that you've done. And so on that note, do you have any suggestions in terms of like journaling prompts or like some kind of daily routine that you recommend that people, you know, whether or not they're job hunting or just someone tuning in, like a daily practice they can engage in to make sure that they're always keeping stock of their own accomplishments? Yeah, so probably at least 90% of my coaching clients, one of their main assignments that I give them during our first session is an accomplishment journal. Mm-hmm. And I have them write down an accomplishment every day for life. And they have to write down something every single day and say, here's what I achieved. And what's powerful is this adds up so quickly, seven accomplishments a week, 30 a month, 365 a year. And I think that's really key to just get in that practice of reflecting on what you did, especially on those days where you don't feel like you did a lot and you're kind of searching and saying, oh, I went to the store with my mom and spent quality time with her. I think in those kind of moments, it can be powerful to reflect on what you did. 
And then for other clients, I'll have them write out, here's 10 things that make me fabulous and keep doing that every single night to just get in the practice. Have you ever sat through the I Am Remarkable Google workshop? No. You should take a look at that one. You can get certified, but it's like very similar idea and would be cool to add to your practice, I'm sure. Um, Yeah, do it. It's free. It's great. So that's what I love doing. And I find it helpful for clients to continually reflect on this and just get in the practice of it. Because owning your fabulousness is really just a muscle you can continually build and strengthen. Mm-hmm. And even when it feels uncomfortable, that's okay. That's how you know you're doing the work. Yeah. And how do you push back on those clients who I assume come to you and, and have that attitude of like, there's nothing fabulous. I don't know. So that's why I like the external work of asking other people to recognize that. And then if they're like, oh, there's nothing, I'm like, okay, we're not doing three, we're doing six. And then if they're like, oh, okay, 12. So my clients quickly learn that if they are resistant to my homework, I'm just going to double it or quadruple it. Because um, <laughs> I find it so helpful when we feel down to get some of that external validation. And I don't mm-hmm. want them to start relying on external validation. But the beginning, as we're starting this, it can be helpful to look externally for some positive reinforcement. Do you have any mantras that you use in your practice to sort of build that internal confidence? Yes, I mean, I am fabulous. That's one of my favorites. I love that, simple, I am fabulous. (laughs) Yes, and then just having clients that create ones that work for them. I think that's really important to each of my clients. When I work with them to create mantras, some like mantras, some don't, but when they create, I'm finding ones that work for them. Some Mm -hmm. of them like quotes, some of them create their own network for them. Some of them will set those text messages as their screensaver on their phone or their background on their laptop. So finding what works for them and what inspires them. Um, For me, like all my thank you cards I get from clients, I hang them on a whiteboard in my office. So seeing what works for you and what inspires and uplifts you is critical. That's great. Um, I love that. I'm going to switch gears and talk about the actual skills needed to break into tech. Um, so often I feel like people are hesitant to break into tech if they don't have those tech skills. Like I'm, I work in HR, so I don't really have many technical skills. Um, and it took me a while to realize like where that can fit into the tech world. What would you say are some top skills that you see as like highly coveted for 2021 when it comes to those non-technical roles or even technical roles? Yeah, so I find resiliency, adaptability, the ability to just thrive through ambiguity is really important. If the pandemic has taught us anything, it's how critical it is to be resilient. Organizations, particularly tech organizations, are looking for employees who are able to rapidly pivot and change, not thus through a pandemic, but if there's a change in service offerings or if there's a change in law or regulation, I think that's really critical and Mm -hmm. that's something you can show on your resume. So I think every single client or job seeker should say, here's how I adapted through the COVID-19 pandemic. Um, The second thing is dependability. You can say you have every experience or credential or qualification in in the world, but if you don't show how you consistently showed up, all of those are irrelevant. So it's really key to demonstrate how you are dependable and consistently delivered, not just this one time when. Yes. Makes total sense. 
Kyle, we have some questions that we'd like to ask of all our guests who come on the show. This has been an amazing conversation so far. One of the things that we love to get into is this concept of fun, that our careers for all the little technical things that we talk about should be fun at the end of the day. What's the most fun you've had in your career? I love too that you asked this question because that's one of my biggest values is fun. If you follow me on Instagram or LinkedIn or anywhere, I'm always working to have fun. Honestly, the most fun I've ever had in my career is now. I work with some of the most fabulous, talented people in Silicon Valley and high tech, and they're doing incredible things to make the world a better place. And they're also achieving things that they could never imagine possible, breaking into tech, getting access to the C-suite finding their version of work-life balance. So I've, I've yet to have a job that's as fun as the one I have now and working with the people I work with. That's awesome. Yeah, I, you can hear it in your voice for sure. The fun is there. You've talked about risk earlier on in this conversation and that's another question we like to put in front of folks is what's the biggest risk you've taken in your career and how did it turn out? I would say the biggest risk is leaving my full-time job to devote 100% of my time to caffeinatedkyle.com. I had a good salary. I had retirement. I had a meal plan. I had a furnished apartment in San Francisco included. I had a very nice total comp package. And I left that to run my business full-time. And it was scary. It was super scary. Um, Yet I believed in my business and the work I was doing and it was exciting. And I think as we talked about earlier, all those best moments are associated with huge amounts of risk. And this was the biggest risk I ever took and it's been associated with the greatest amount of happiness and it's paid off. That is beautiful. Yeah, we've never really connected that dot as as beautifully as you've done now. And I really thank you for that, for sharing that. That's amazing. Kyle. (laughs) What is the best piece of advice you've ever received in your own career? So I used to struggle a lot with telling clients when they were not a fit, if they were not in my zone of genius, I would feel bad. And then one of my mentors, Jill Katz, she said, why don't you answer honestly, have it written down on a post-it on my desk from like three and a half years ago. And I still refer to it almost every day when I don't know what to say to someone, I just share honestly and it has been so powerful. It's such a simple coaching question, but yet uh, also incredibly powerful coaching question. Why don't you answer honestly? Because it's scary. Um, mm-hmm, <laughs> it yeah. can be hard. It's at risk. It goes back to the risk, but yeah. risks lead to amazing moments. And do you find that people are receptive when you share that with them? They are. I think that's one of my other things that make me fabulous is my ability to deliver really difficult messages in a really compassionate way, telling people, maybe you don't have the background right now that makes sense for Amazon and we should target something else, um, for example. And I think some people are ready to hear it and some people aren't, but I think Mm -hmm. of anyone they could hear it from, I think I'm one of the best people for people to hear difficult messages from. Nice. Hmm. I feel like that could be a whole side business on its own, just getting you to share bad news with other people. Right. (sighs) Okay. Where can people find you, Kyle, if they want to follow all the fabulous work that you're doing? I just followed you on Instagram, by the way. So (laughs) thank you. I'm on Instagram, Kyle Elliott. I also spend lots of time on LinkedIn, Kyle Elliott with two L's and two T's. And then my website, caffeinatedkyle.com. That is awesome. What a fabulous conversation we've had. I'm sorry to like, just take the word to its full extent, yeah. 
but it really is. And uh, Kyle, you shared a lot of really amazing things that a lot of people don't talk about when it comes to job searching. Lots of things for people to do some inner work on and uh, just really appreciate you coming onto the show. Yes, this has been fabulous. Thank you for having me. Cool. I think we can call it a week at that for the Career Builders podcast. I'm Mike Bird. I'm Stacy Pollack. Our guest, Kyle Elliott at caffeinatedkyle.com. Check him out. He is doing some fantastic stuff. He's fabulous. We hope you are well, and we hope you'll join us again soon. Bye for now. Are you looking to connect with awesome people on LinkedIn and build the kind of professional network that gets you hired faster? Go to coachwazo.com slash C-E-L-I to get access to my free five-day e-course called Connecting Effortlessly on LinkedIn. You'll be on your way to creating the relationships that build your career. Once again, that's C-O-A-C-H-O-I-S-E-A-U dot com slash C-E-L-I.